It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, July eighteenth, two 2013. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, joins me as well. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Good. Looking forward to our study. And uh, I'm looking forward to the study as well. We're looking forward to your, to your participation. The number you know is 877-381-4567. The email address you also know is questions at collegeview.com. And you also, if you listen to us watch us live, you know how to participate in the chat room to the right of your video window. We'll look forward to you doing that as well in the program tonight. We look forward to your comments because they do help the discussion when we get your point of view as the way you understand the scriptures. Uh, and uh, we've got an interesting topic for tonight. All I can say is, wow, you've got some incredible questions. Yeah, these are some questions, Jacob, that we've been saving up for the last several weeks, submitted by our listeners. Uh, we decided our pile was getting pretty tall. We needed to dig into that pile and try, try to yeah. clear some of these questions you, out. You, you picked out some good ones. Well, I think they're good questions. I think it re- represents the fact that uh, our listening audience are good Bible students, and they have serious thoughts about important spiritual matters, and so... Uh, they have submitted some things for our consideration. I think they're all worthy questions. They're not necessarily related to one another. A couple of them are. A couple of our questioners uh, were thinking along the same lines, uh, but but they all are worthy questions. And they're all practical questions. I think they all have pra- uh, practical application in uh, the day that we live in today. I think so, too. Okay. Hit me with one. All right. So we're gonna, uh, we are gonna. We won't read all these because some of them are rather lengthy. We won't read all these as we're starting out. We'll just read them as we're ready to deal with them. Uh, remember, you you could have, if you didn't, you could have gotten this list of questions in your email inbox earlier today. Free of charge. No charge, no subscription fee. If you just join our mailing list, we send out on Thursday a, a heads up as to what we're going to be talking about on Thursday night. Get on that list if you're not. Questions at collegeview.com. Just say, add me to the list, and we'll do it. All right. So uh, the first question we sent out, well, it was actually a, a, a set of three questions submitted to our by our regular listener, Ramona, in Texas. She's our correspondent from Texas, and she has corresponded tonight, but she's yeah. going to be sitting out listening to Yeah, she said she was going to sit out on the on the part dealing with her questions right. and see what well, others say. It makes sense. I mean, you wouldn't ask the question if you knew the answer. Well, maybe. I mean, possibly. Well, okay, but. well. All right. Thank you. So it's, it's a three-part question. They're actually uh, unrelated questions, so we'll just take them one at a time. Our right. first question Number was, one. an elder is seen at a steak restaurant with a country music dance floor. He is, well, what happened there? I don't know. We're good. <laughs> he is dancing, she says. So he's at this place. There is a dance floor, and he is dancing. What should be done? Do you go to him? Do you go to the preacher? Do you write a letter? What if he does not respond? Um, okay, so basically what she's dealing with there is an elder in the church who is seen publicly doing some things that um, 
any Christian shouldn't do uh, at yeah. a at a public place dancing. Well, now, one okay. of the go ahead. Well, that's an assumption that he shouldn't do that, and uh, some of our listeners clarified that. Uh, yeah. Eric, for instance, said uh, what should be done depends entirely on whether the elder was sinning. Was he dancing in a sensual, lascivious kind of way? Yeah, I think that's right. And and Chris in the UK said. Uh, uh, I don't know your stance on dancing, but I think it depends on the style of dancing. Solo line dancing to me would be acceptable, but other types would be dodgy. Dodgy. Uh, dodgy. Yeah. And, and I agree. I mean, I, I don't. I, whenever we condemn dancing, I hope it's understood. We probably should be more specific. When we, we condemn dancing, we condemn modern dancing, the kind that is uh, lascivious. Yes. Uh, and so I, I hope that's understood. I think, I'm assuming that's what Ramona was talking about when she said he's at this place where they dance, he's dancing, uh, what should be done. So we're going to, we don't know the particulars of that dancing, but we're going to assume it is a lewd, lascivious kind of dancing that is the that is the common norm. There, I think there are some exceptions to that. But it is the kind that is the common norm, okay? Okay, all right. All right, so what to do? She says, should you go to him? Should you go to the preacher? Should you write a letter? What if he doesn't respond? Well, the first thing that I would want to point out is that certainly elders are not above sinning. And when they sin, it is not to be ignored. Okay, Uh, that's good. uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 Verse 19 says, against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. So, in other words, Paul set forth some some regulations there to protect elders from unfair accusations. Right. In other words, you don't accuse him unless two or three witnesses are, are, are give credence to the accusation. Okay. Right. But he also clearly implies elders can sin, and when they do, when it's established that they have sinned, they should be rebuked. Well, but the character of elders, they ought to be care- they need to be especially careful of their of their influence and uh, what others might see. First Timothy chapter 3 verse 7, moreover he must be of a good report of them which are without lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. You know, an elder that uh, well, it's 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 concerning that an elder would be in a situation like that. Um, but as you said, they're not above uh, sinning. And, uh, and yeah, should... I'm, I'm really concerned that an elder wouldn't have better judgment than to yeah. do a thing like that. Uh, but it can happen. Maybe I, it's a I, moment I think, of weakness, you know. Yeah, I, I think country. Ramona is describing a situation yeah. there that I don't think she dreamed that up. I think it's probably something that she's uh, a situation she's aware right, of. Right, right. Uh, I would say yes, you go to him. I don't know why you wouldn't uh, follow the procedure set forth in Matthew 18. If your brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. This is Matthew 18, beginning verse 15. It goes on. If he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And then if he neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. But got to really stress the first the first step in that process is go to him right not i mean why, why would i in other words why would i go to the preacher if my problem is with what i've seen the elder doing yeah he's he's my man he's the guy i got to talk to right. i'm going to go to him and and i may be able to resolve it right right, right with gotta, that you got to assume the best yeah yeah and if he's a man who's spiritually mature enough to be an elder hopefully he will be spiritually mature enough to accept the rebuke and to repent for the for the wrong that he's done. Uh, if there's some misunderstanding about what's been taking place, that can be cleared up. But certainly the first step would be go to him. But no, do not ignore the situation. 
uh, if he doesn't respond uh, to your approach, then you step it up a notch. Right. You might want to take with you a CD from the April 22, 2010 virtual Bible study on dancing in the prom. Yeah. That might help. Yeah, because, again, we're we're assuming that the dancing that he's doing there is the kind of dancing uh, right. Yeah, that is not uh, that that a Christian should do, lasciviousness. Right, or right, right. Okay? Okay. I think we got that one. Uh, you, did we read what? We, we didn't reckon? finish Chris's. He says approaching him would be advisable, preferably with a witness. I would say you'd approach him first without a witness, according to Matthew 18. Then you can uh, uh, approach him with a witness. As to going to the preacher, you are taking it to the church, really. And if that is the case, then the rebuke should be public, like Paul's rebuke of Peter and is eating apart from the Gentiles with the Jews. I would, though, say that the other elders would be the way to go, because uh, to me, elders outrank the preacher. Well, I, uh, I, don't, know. I don't know about the... Well, yeah, you. I mean, you could take it to the elders, but um, go ahead. You had a comment. Well, I was going to say, you know, I, I don't think that Matthew 18... Go to him one on one, then take two or three, then take it to the church. That that procedure is not does not necessarily have to be followed in every case of that was going to be my that was going to be my question about that. I mean that's not a that's not a hard and fast rule because Paul didn't apply it with Peter. Right, because it was already publicly known. Right, right, right. In other words, Matthew 18 saying I've got a fault with you, I go to you. Right. Nobody knows about our problem except you and me, and so I go to you. Right. But if 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 for instance here I am. A, a preacher of a local congregation, and I'm seen out publicly drunken right. on Saturday night. Right. I mean, in fact, my pictures on the front page of the local newspaper being arrested by the police for disorderly conduct. It, it's not the duty of every Christian to come to me privately before it's taken up a notch. It's already a public matter. Right, right. And so in this case, this may already be a public matter. In other right. words, and, but certainly the first step always in trying to restore brothers is to go to him directly yeah. and, and deal with him. All right. Uh, oh, Patrick says, I would also want to know who he's dancing with. Was it his wife? Married people have some liberty regarding each other. Also, if, if this was a place no Christian should even be, why was another Christian even there to see lots, him? Lots of questions. Good questions. Um, apparently it was a steakhouse, so maybe it wasn't that shady of an establishment. Who knows? Know. We don't we know don't that. Know we don't. We can't, we can't yeah. speak to that, but those are, yeah. those are reasonable questions, Patrick. Yes. I agree. I agree. All right, let's go to Ramona. So we got time for the second part of Ramona's question. Uh, she says a married preacher has a relationship with a member that he has been counseling. Uh, I don't know. I don't understand that. Although not, not yet. let it, not, not yet known. Not yet known. Oh, not yet known. <clears throat> right. If it was adulterous, he has a relationship. He is restored. Should he continue preaching the, uh, at the church? Okay. Here's here's the situation, and yes. here's the preacher. I want to tell you this is not fairy tale kind of stuff. This. I've known too many instances where right. this sort of thing has happened. Right. A preacher uh, imagine himself as a you know a counselor and steps into situations that he's probably not qualified to deal with. Right. Obviously not qualified if he lets himself become emotionally involved right. with the person he's trying to help. <clears throat> right. And uh, gets into trouble. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so sin- sinful conduct takes place mm-hmm. on the part of the preacher. Right. Uh, it's known. He, but he is restored. Should he continue to preach at the church? Okay. Uh, what do you think? Well, well but before we answer that, let me. Uh, I added in here as an addendum to that question. We got a, a similar question from listener Lance, who said, 
I hear a lot of pastors, preachers, ministers, evangelists, deacons, bishops, apostles talk about once you have damaged your testimony, you have no place in ministry. Is this God's view of things? If God forgives, should not this should not those also be some of the loudest voices proclaiming how merciful, forgiving, and wonderful God is? Okay. Uh, there's some things in Lance's question, and I'm going to skip over. I don't believe that we have apostles, for instance, today. Uh, I think he may be misusing the notion of pastor, but I don't know, and I'm going to let that pass. There, there may be something there to deal with in a future question. But he says he hears people saying that if you've damaged your reputation, I'm going to rephrase that way, you've damaged your reputation, then you should not be preaching. Right. What about that? Okay, well, let's go to our listeners, and uh, and then you. I think you've got some thoughts you want to add as well, and I think I can add some as well. Um, but uh, Chris in the U.K. says, I will assume this relationship is romantic and not meeting up for, say, a weekly game of Scrabble. Well, I think even a married man who's meeting up with another woman for a weekly game of Scrabble would potentially be a, a problem. But um, it depends on how you define restored. If you mean publicly repented and denounced what he did, then he can preach. Well, you have a, the example of whatever he taught and did because hypocrisy will kill uh, his messages no matter how they are presented. Uh, so I think... Chris can see it both ways. It maybe the hypocrisy would hurt his uh, influence, and uh, and maybe not a good idea uh, of uh, for him to continue to preach. He says there's uh, Peter who got restored. Mark who deserted Paul was seen as useful, but I don't think that's what you mean. There is hypocrisy. Uh, there is the hypocrisy point from before, but you need to be careful. What sin disqualifies someone? If or if you need to be blameless to preach, no one will soon qualify or be able to preach. Thank you, Chris. I think that's right. Uh, Eric says, the Apostle Peter was guilty of sinning openly in the matter of shunning his Gentile brethren in Galatians 2. Paul confronted him, and although we aren't told how he responded or what the aftermath was, Peter apparently repented and continued in his role as an apostle and later an elder. As a practical matter, a preacher's ability to effectively do the work of evangelist in a location may be ruined by some scandal. Hence Paul's repeated warnings to Timothy to keep himself pure, pure 1 Timothy 4, 12, and 16. However, there is no New Testament teaching that says preachers who have been guilty of certain sins can never return to the ministry after being restored. I, I would agree with that. Guest 826 answers, I guess, to the question, can the preacher continue preaching? No, because he could not be trusted, and you would also be putting him in temptation, temptuous settings that he may not be able to overcome. His trust is ruined. Ruined. Thank you, Guest 826. And TMC says, well, I do not think there's a scriptural issue with him continuing to preach. It would be best not to preach at the same place. Okay. Uh, you know what I think we're seeing there, Jacob, uh, is the, um, there's some judgment to be employed right. there. I right. think I think it's judgment. I mean, everybody can sin and everybody can be forgiven of sin. Right. But there's the judgment. And I think the local brethren who are working with that evangelist in that local place have to decide has this been such a matter that his ability to influence for good has been damaged so much so that he can't be effective? Right. And other other brethren in other congregations may make the same decision. In other words, not only can he not preach here, but we're not going to let him. Our judgment is we don't want him to preach there. We just think his influence has been damaged so badly that he just can't be effective. Right. I think the man himself needs to be realistic enough to right. to, to make that determination on himself. I know some inst- I know a couple of instances of some pretty well-known preachers. If I name names, then I'm not going to. The many who are listening would know the names I would name, who've gotten involved in some pretty serious immorality, 
Well, they've repented. And now, and we can rejoice that they have, but they want to go right back into the pulpit and preach and think that brethren should not uh, even take their past conduct into consideration. I think that's unrealistic. Right. Uh, I just, right. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I agree with Eric that both Timothy and Titus were encouraged to be careful about their example. First Timothy 4.12, Eric mentioned, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. To Titus, Paul said in Titus chapter 2, beginning verse 6, uh, in all things show yourself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to save you. Notice, conduct yourself in such a way that those who oppose you, your enemies, those who oppose the gospel, those who, yes. who do not agree with what you teach and stand for, yeah. They'll be ashamed. They can't even come up with something evil to say about you. Right. That's the way we're all supposed to be living. That's the way Titus, particularly as an evangelist, was taught to live. And and these preachers that are under consideration in these questions haven't lived that way. They've and they have. There's an expression in First um, Timothy five. Verse 14 is talking about young widows, but it's applicable here. It says, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Yes. Well, these guys who've conducted themselves that way have given occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Now, those who are are spiritually mature uh, should be able to forgive and to... uh, Oh, we have to. If they repent, we have to forgive. That's not the question. And, 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 And be able to maybe get past that. But the one that the preacher's trying to influence... That's the spiritually weak person, typically, who yeah. would be looking for an excuse not to accept the message the man is bringing. And so, even though he may have forgiven of that, been forgiven of that sin, repented, uh, there'd still be some issues that uh, would maybe damage his effectiveness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I think we're going to have to say that's a judgment. Uh, I, I do think the uh, the matter of Peter, both in his yes, public Peter, sin yes. in Galatians chapter two that Eric mentioned, also his his uh, just very vocal de- uh, denial of Jesus when Jesus was on trial before his crucifixion. I mean, I, you, you really can't imagine anybody doing anything worse than no. what Peter did. Uh, uh, but Jesus said con- to Peter, Luke 22, verse 32, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Right. In other words, he was talking to Peter before right. the betrayal. And he said, when, when, when you've denied me, he says, when, after you're converted, go and strengthen. In other words, right. you use that experience as an opportunity to encourage and strengthen others. So right. there's some judgment involved there, I, and, and, I, and I, I think we just have to leave it at that. So we have to answer it by not answering it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We're, okay. we're past break time. We've got one more question from Ron. We're going to have to move on, Jacob. All right. Uh, when we get back, uh, we want to hear, ooh, Muslims eating with Christians. Yeah, let's talk about that. Uh, okay. Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Do you remember when elders, deacons, preachers, Bible class teachers, and all church members had a strong commitment to the Word? Do you recall when you could always count on book, chapter, and verse preaching from the pulpit? Can you think back to a time when Christians were known as people of the book because they knew their Bible so well? We're trying to be like a church you read about in the Bible, and we're still doing the same things that you remember from way back when. Are you longing for a return for the way things used to be? Come and visit. See for yourself at the College View Church of Christ. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Our life always expresses the result of our dominant thoughts. 
Honesty and integrity are absolutely essential for success in life, all areas of life. The really good news is that anyone can develop both honesty and integrity. Discipline is the bridge between goals and accomplishment. Work spares us from three evils, boredom, vice, and need. You cannot plow a field by turning it over in your mind. Knowing is not enough, we must apply. Willing is not enough, we must do. He who persistently attends, pointedly asks, calmly speaks, coolly answers, and ceases when he has no more to say is in possession of some of the best requisites of man. Govern thy life and thoughts as if the whole world were to see the one and read the other. Man, wish I had said that. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight looking at various listener questions, and we're in the middle of questions from Ramona in Texas. And this is a good reminder, if you have questions you'd like discussed in this format on this forum, let us know your thoughts. Questions at collegeview.com. We can save your question for a period of discussion like this where we answer multiple questions in the same hour or Perhaps you have a topic that's worthy of a whole hour of discussion, and our listeners have supplied many of those in the past, and we look forward to those as well. Send us your thoughts or your questions to questions at collegeview.com. All right, we've got one more question from Ramona in Texas. Uh, this one's a little bit odd, I think. Uh, after, it's, it's a little dated now. and yeah. You know, it's about 12 years old. After 9-11, of course, that was in 2001, right? 9-11, yeah. 2001. Yeah. A church ago. invites a Muslim church to fellowship at the fellowship connected to the church. Now, I, 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 before I read the rest of that question, yeah. I'm assuming that this church has, what, a fellowship hall? They have a kitchen, a dining facility. And so they invite a Muslim, well, it wouldn't be a church, right, because Muslims don't call it church, but anyway, a Muslim mosque. mosque. They invite them to come and eat a fellowship, have a fellowship to eat, I assume at their church building, at their facility where they have a kitchen and a dining hall and so forth. Well, I got to stop. I gotta, before we go beyond, we, we've talked about that multiple times on the virtual Bible study. Uh, the, the church has no authority to be providing that kind of facility for those kind of purposes. And that's not fellowship as the New Testament defines fellowship. Well, okay? just... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, just the way it's used there shows that it's not fellowship. They don't agree on anything. Yeah, fellowship, the word fellowship means joint participation. Eating common meals together is never referred to as fellowship yeah. in the New Testament. And how could you have a joint participation, a, a group of Christians with a group of Muslims? They they deny what we believe. All right, so if they weren't in fellowship when well, they ate anyway. together, okay, anyway. well, well, if they weren't in fellowship when they ate together, then Christians aren't fellowshipping when they eat together in a social meal necessarily i mean that's not fellowship right if they if, if just no, eating together made fellowship then you'd i mean you could well, no, in other words you, they can't have it both ways they can't right, say right. they can't say this is a fellowship that, that we, we have here. this eating facility to provide for fellowship in our congregation yeah. because if that's fellowship then they were then then when they did it with the muslims they were having fellowship with unbelievers that's the way i see it so they can't. That's that's good. They, you yeah. got them. You got them coming and going right. there, basically. Right. Right. Uh, they can't have it both ways. Okay. Okay. So she says the members of the church follow the laws of the Muslim for the meal, women at separate tables, and so forth. Is this correct? How should fellowship have been done? 
Well, they shouldn't have done. They shouldn't have been doing any of it. They themselves shouldn't have been eating in the in the church facility uh, in a common meal for a social purpose. It's not fellowship, and the church is not authorized to provide it even for their own members. Uh, for them to have the Muslims over and call it fellowship is outrageous. The Muslims deny our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, it's just outlandish that that any church would even consider such things. So, to the question, is it correct? I would say absolutely not. And the only way, and, and the last part of the question is, how should fellowship have been done? Well, fellowship should have been done by converting those Muslims to Christianity, and that's the only way you could have fellowship. That's exactly right. That was my thought as well. Fellowship should have been ta- teaching in the gospel so you could have real fellowship. But I would make a comment. If you went to a Muslim country, some kind of one of those stand countries, and you... I've you, been to some of them. You've been to some stand countries? Yeah. Okay, well, would you be wrong... To have your wife wear some type of head covering? No. Would you be not. wrong if you uh, had your wife sit at the other table across? Uh, with the women. At the, with the women. No, absolutely not. In fact, I think that would be the instruction that we should. I mean, we should I, I, do that, I would think. I think that's what 1 Corinthians 11 would teach us okay. to do, okay. uh, in fact. So, yes, I, I, I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with yeah, the whole right, idea the other, of them having fellowship. Right. A fellowship. <laughs> All right, so here's what here's what some others said. Eric said, It is encouraging to hear of Christians reaching out to Muslims and finding a willingness to sit down together. However, I don't believe there can be fellowship in the scriptural sense of the word between a Christian church and a Muslim church. Outsiders can be welcomed into our assembly, 1 Corinthians 14, 23. But for us to truly have fellowship in the spiritual sense, there must be a common faith in Jesus, 1 John 1, verse 3. Now, as a cultural matter, if a group of Christians wanted to invite some Muslims to share a meal... It would be appropriate to follow their custom of separating men and women. I think that kind of flexibility and sensitivity is exactly what Paul's referring to in 1 Corinthians 9, 20 through 23. I agree with you, Eric. Thank you, Eric. And Chris in the U.K., well, can, well, can you eat food sacrificed to an idol for I'm sure the food was halal? What's that? Uh, that, that must be some kind of kosher yeah. Muslim food. Uh, to me, it was on church grounds, so church rules should have applied where there is neither male or female employer or employee with the allowance that if they want to segregate, then by all means, uh, but not enforced. Oh, and have the gospel preached and the baptistry open for anticipation of responses. Well, that would be good. I would agree with that. But, I mean, I, I, what are the rules? If it's on church ground, what are the church rules? I don't read any rules about uh, these type of... Common meals that are yeah. provided for by the church. Well, Social meals provided for by the church. You know, well, I, actually, I do read about that well, in 1 Corinthians 11, right, right. where Paul forbids the church to do that. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. So hope those are helpful to the questions Ramona asked. Uh, Paul is back in the chat room. He found a laptop so he can be listening to us. We're having having problem with Ustream. For those of you smartphone users who are trying to catch us uh, uh, through Ustream, we cannot get lately Ustream to work for us. We're going to try to address that problem because we know some of you are frustrated that you can't listen live on your smartphones, and we'll try to do better. Uh, you can listen in the archive form, but not in the, in the uh, live version. It we'll could try be as to... simple as an address problem. We've got to get into that yeah. and figure out what's yeah. going on. Okay. All right. All right. Let's move on. Oh, wow. We're, we're, we can start this question. I don't even know if we should start it, Jacob. Maybe what we ought to do is take our midway break. And okay. come back to this question. This is, an, this is an issue that uh, is, is Let's read. more I'm, and more I'm, of a problem. I'm going to read the question, and then we'll go to our break, Jeff. Uh, this is from listener David, who said, I clearly understand that women should not be preachers and should not usurp men in worship, but I don't have a clear understanding of women's role in Bible study. Is it permissible for women to comment and ask questions during Bible study? 
Does it make a difference whether the Bible study is in the church building or at home? 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 36 says that women are to be silent in the churches or assemblies in some translations. Since the church is the called out ones, does this imply that a woman cannot speak in any assembly of God's people? That's a good question, an important one. Let's go to it after we get back to this. Let's fill up the chat room during the break, and we'll talk about that on the other side. What about women in Bible studies? And women in, you know, there's there's a church recently that established a woman as a preacher, and they go by the name Church of Christ. That's becoming more and more of a trend. Uh, And so what about this idea of women and uh, their role in the assemblies? Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Glenn with this week's bullet point. Ohio Senator Rob Portman recently announced that he now supports same-sex marriage. This makes Portman the first sitting Republican senator to take this position and is especially noteworthy since he was a supporter of the Defense of Marriage Act back in 1996. That act defined marriage as between a man and a woman. And what could cause this dramatic change in a previously conservative politician? Well, it seems that Portman's son has come out as homosexual. We could spend time identifying the Bible proof that homosexuality is a sin. We could answer all the arguments of the many, including many religious types, that claim otherwise. But our point of emphasis here is on the fact that this man totally changed on an important moral issue because a loved one is involved. We wonder what it would take to get Mr. Portman to sell out his morality on other issues. Could he be swayed on abortion? Portman is currently pro-life, but what if he had a daughter who was caught up in that sin? Would he cave on pedophilia if a loved one was found guilty? What if another of his sons turns out to be a thief, a rapist, a murderer? Where does one stop once he surrenders his moral convictions? Unfortunately, this compromised senator is not alone. Too many, and not a few Christians, fail to stand up for what is right when their own families are entangled in sin. How often have we heard otherwise sound brethren who offer excuses, failed arguments, and illogical explanations when their children or other loved ones are engaged in sinful conduct? Drinking, fornication, gambling, dancing, unscriptural divorce and remarriage, the list goes on. These are all defended if it gets too close to home. Parents, grandparents, siblings, and other relatives and friends become enablers of such sins by their refusal to stand firmly for what is right. Instead of this spirit of compromise, we must... Quote, earnestly contend for the faith, Jude verse 3. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. We're back on the program tonight. We remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, or if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, Find out more about us by visiting our worship assemblies and our Bible studies Sunday mornings 9.30 and 6 p.m. at night and Wednesday evenings at 7. And you don't even have to be in the Columbia, Tennessee area to come and assemble with us. Randy from Michigan was here last night and good to meet uh, one of our listeners all the way from Michigan. Yeah, Randy from Schwartz Creek. We often refer to Randy from Schwartz Creek, Michigan. He he actually was passing through Tennessee uh, on his way home from Florida and went out of his way to join us for midweek Bible study. More of our listeners ought to do that. That'd be great. That would be great. All right, we're talking about various questions, and we left with a question from David. What about uh, women? All right, he's basing his... In Bible classes. Yeah, he's basing his question on 1 Corinthians 14, beginning verse 34. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it's not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. 
And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Uh, so th- that's the basis of the question. And he wants to know, would that apply to Bible class sort of situation? Could they ask a question in Bible class? Okay. Well, first of all, we know that women are not, and he mentioned this as he worded his questions, uh, uh, there's admonition to, for women um, to not teach or usurp authority over the man but to be in silence. First Timothy two verse twelve. Yes. And so, uh, understanding that women are always to be in submission to men in the church is an important principle. It's not a politically correct concept anymore, but it, it for those who believe the Bible, that is the order that God has okay. has instituted, and, and we have to honor it. Now, what about First Corinthians fourteen? Does that say that women can't ask a question or can't say anything at all in the assemblies? If you stop to think about it, if if this passage were taken absolutely literally, then they couldn't even sing because it says, let your women keep silence in the churches. So if, if, if that's commanding absolute, utter silence, then they would not be authorized to sing either, right? Because right. singing is not silence. Yes. Uh, for that matter, they couldn't lean over and whisper to their misbehaving child, if you don't stop, I'm going to carry you out and spank you. Right. You know, they couldn't even say that. They couldn't even whisper a, mm. a, a disciplinary warning to a misbehaving child. Yeah. So uh, what about that? Does it mean science? I actually think, look, if you look at the verse, and I don't know if we've ever kind of un- unraveled this before. On the verse one. It says, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience. This is a sort of a classic constru- grammatical construction that we find several places in the Scripture. I, I refer to it, and I've heard others refer to it as a not-but construction. Okay. And the not is not a complete prohibition. It's it's an emphasis on the second. The second thing is the important thing. Uh, in, in my margin here at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, yes. I have actually written John 6, 27. Uh-huh. John 6, 27 is, an, is a really perfect illustration of not but construction. Okay. Jesus said, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life. Uh-huh. Now, did Jesus mean by that, don't work for your food? No. That'd be a contradiction, right? Yes. In fact, Second Thessalonians 3 verse 10 says, if a man won't work, neither should he eat. Right. So Jesus wasn't saying don't work for physical meat at all. Right. But he was saying the important thing is to labor for that meat which endures to everlasting life. Okay. So it's a not but construction. Uh-huh. The first part is not meant to be a literal prohibition, but it's a it's an emphasis of the second part as to be our primary emphasis. Yes. Okay. Now, go back here to First Corinthians fourteen verse thirty four. This is not a an absolute prohibition on a woman making a noise in an assembly. It's a not-but construction. She's not permitted to speak but to be under obedience. She's commanded to be under In other words, she can't speak in any such way that she would fail to be under submission to the men. Okay. Because that's the order that God has established. And so I think if you just take verse 34, 1 Corinthians 14, 34, if you take it apart, it's a not-but construction. It Therefore, it should not be understood to mean an absolute prohibition on women making a, a, a single peep or noise in a, an assembly, it's saying 
let them be under submission. All right, let me ask you about First Timothy chapter two, verse ten, or verse eleven. Uh, let the women learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And that's a similar instruction. Uh, there clearly uh, that she's not to usurp authority over the man to teach in such a way that she would be usurping authority over the man. Uh, obviously, it's not. Uh, is that a prohibition against a woman teaching a man? No, it can't be okay. uh, because. We actually have an example, a commended example in Acts chapter 18 of Aquila and Priscilla, verse 26. Apollos, when he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, Aquila and Priscilla, when they had heard him, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Priscilla was involved in the teaching of Apollos, but she did it in the proper submissive role. Okay. So, uh, again, uh, I don't think women are forbidden to ever teach a man but they have to do it in the right way i would argue then that that first corinthians 14 is not saying a woman for instance couldn't ask a question in a bible class but she i think i've i think i have known of women who were out of line in bible classes who who weren't in submission who challenged the authority of the male teacher and so forth that'd be wrong that'd be wrong anytime Okay. And to be wrong in a Bible class. That's true. Uh, Eric has requested you comment on verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 14, and if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Well, again, I have to take it in the context that he was talking about submissive roles. It, it, it's a shame when a woman's not in submission. Okay. And so uh, the women should not conduct themselves, including it may be that the best thing for them to do in order to maintain that submissiveness is to ask their husbands at home. But not all women even have husbands at home. Uh, but I'm just, I, I just think that that has to be taken in the context of the whole statement there. All right. Um, all right. What do you think? Uh, let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Or you can be the, included in the chat room tonight. Um, personally, Eric says, I think speak means speaking out, as in publicly speaking. Um Paul says, is David asking about a difference between worship and Bible study? Are they more at liberty to comment, read, question in a Bible class in a way that would not be okay in a worship service? Possibly. I have have seen people try to make a a case that the whole context here, 1 Corinthians 11, actually going all the way back, uh, 1 Corinthians, going all the way back to chapter 11, verse 20, when you come together, therefore, into one place, take the Lord's Supper. And that, that that theme continues through 11, 12, 13, and 14. Uh, in fourteen twenty three, he says, the whole church be come together in one place. So I've heard it argued that, that he is specifically dealing with the assembly where they met together to observe the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. I'm not sure that that can be proved, but that, that, may, that may be taken into consideration. All right, let's go to our listeners uh, tonight. And Eric has responded in the email as well. I believe the instructions in 1 Corinthians 14 have to do with when the church is assembled for worship. Consider the instructions from the prophets to speak one at a time, verses uh, 27 through 33. This was to have an orderly service instead of a chaotic atmosphere. The same would apply to our assemblies. However, as soon as the worship is ended, we all begin to talk at once as we visit with each other. We understand that the rules of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 apply to while we are assembled together for worship. 
Applying the rules about war, women speaking to Bible class uh, settings is less clear to me. I don't see how it would apply to a small group of Christians discussing the Bible. But if the church is assembled, the rules of 1 Corinthians 14, 34, and 35 would seem to apply. However, most of all, all of our Bible study classes are not technically assemblies of the church. All right. Good. Okay. Uh, Ramona says there's nothing in the scripture that forbids women from speaking up in a group of Christians who are discussing the Bible. That they're only, in, in fact, I would argue there, Ramona, with you that the, the example of Aquila and Priscilla, there, was, there were three together who were discussing the Bible, and she obviously participated in that. Okay. Their only prohibition, which is universal, is not to take usurp, to take without right authority over men. So they could not direct the Bible class as the teacher if men were there. Women could not direct the Bible class as teacher if men were there. A Bible study is not a part of the assembly tied to the Lord's Supper. The location is not relevant under the New Testament. Then she makes an argument I think is interesting. 1 Timothy 2.12, I suffer not a woman to teach or usurp authority over a man, but to be in silence. The Greek word there, she says, means a reserved, composed, controlled state as opposed to usurping authority. Uh, then in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, let your women keep silence in the churches. It's not permitted them to speak, but they're commanded to be under obedience. She says the Greek word there means to keep silence, to hold your peace, to keep quiet. I don't know if there's a shade of difference of meaning the two words that might be helpful. I just don't know. Okay. Thank you, Ramona. And Chris in the UK says, first, Bible study is not worship. And the phrase that comes before the verse quoted uh, that of all things must be done in order. Uh, Also, when this was written, churches were segregated with men in one area and women in another, and women did not receive formal religious training. Now women are allowed to speak, or why in the same book are they instructed to have their heads covered when they pray or prophesy? Of course, we don't prophesy anymore. Also, being silent will really make singing difficult. But standing in the middle of a meeting to blurt out a question is not orderly. I would say yes, ask your questions, but when the coffee is served or an informal session after the study or as suggested in the verses at home. Okay. All right. Uh, I, I think that uh, uh, I would agree that um, there are different settings, uh, and and what's appropriate in one might not be appropriate in another. The, the underlying rule here, as has been stated several times, is that the women are to be in submission to the men and not to do anything that would even suggest otherwise. I think that's what's really important. But... For those who say that a woman must, you know, that, that the silence of 1 Corinthians 14.34 is absolute, they're not being consistent yeah. because they're letting the women sing. That's not silence. Okay. And and I don't think they would object if a woman corrected her child, uh, you know, in, in a hushed tones. You know, if you don't stop that, I'm going to take you out and give you a thorough spanking. I, I I don't know anybody who would object or, to that. In uh, fact, I know people who would object if the mother didn't do that. Or, and honey, honey, where's the pacifier? Yeah, yeah. Did you bring in the bottle? You can't say anything. If, if silence is literal, then they couldn't say any of those things. It's not literal. It, it, and I do think that the not but explanation is helpful. Uh, what, he's, what he's enjoining there is that women should not speak in such a way as to be out of subjection to the men. And verse 35, if they're going to learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home for shame for women to speak at church. Do you think that would be more of a um, an outspoken question, maybe challenging? Something? Yeah, yeah. It, it, like I said, I've known examples where women, even by virtue of the question of the tone in which they ask a question, could be out of submission. For instance, here's a question a woman might ask. 
You mean to tell me that you think it's wrong for a person to take a single drink of wine? Yeah. Well, that's a question. Yeah. But the tone of it is in such a fashion to yeah. challenge the man who's teaching yeah. uh, concerning consuming alcohol. Right. And so, yeah, you could be out of subjection just by the way you ask a question. All right. Let us know your thoughts, 877-381-4567. We're going to take a break, and we've got two questions to go on the other side, and we've got some interesting ones. What about a person who is, uh, well, they've fallen away. They're caught up in a sin, and they won't repent. But the church won't withdraw from them, won't mark them, won't discipline them. Does that absolve the individual of any responsibility towards that person? Uh, how do you treat them? How do you respond? And, and then, then we got a question about preachers as employees. Oh. So we'll get to that. All right. Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hi, I'm Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a suggestion for you and your family. Why not turn off the TV on Thursday nights and gather the family around the computer for an hour of in-depth Bible study? The virtual Bible study always involves subjects of importance and interest to serious Bible students. So, why not join this Internet Bible study group every Thursday night? We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A new study has found that the children of religious couples are much more likely to leave the religion if their parents get divorced. The study, published in the Journal for the Scientific Study of Religion, found that children who have two religious parents who get divorced are twice as likely to become estranged from their church as adults compared to people whose parents don't get divorced. The effect of divorce on a child's future religious beliefs was seen across all religions. That information is via U.S. News and World Report. The Word of God says in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program. We're talking about a lot of good questions submitted by our listeners tonight. And the next question comes to us from Chris. All right, Chris. Uh, this is our friend Chris in Atlanta. Uh, who says, what is the an individual's responsibility toward a brother or sister that has been caught up in an unrepentant sin if the church is not officially withdrawn in fellowship? Are we as an individual to withdraw our fellowship if the church is not willing or negligent in doing so? Uh, I don't want to get off on, on my soapbox there, but, but I would repeat what we have said before. The New Testament never uses the phrase withdraw fellowship. We need to be careful to use biblical terminology because some people then will try to compose a phony argument about withdrawing fellowship. The Bible doesn't say withdraw fellowship. It says withdraw yourselves. Uh, uh, A little little bit more here. uh, I didn't put all this in the in the text of our update here's chris goes on he says i know of a couple of people that were in our congregation recently and over the years have fallen into sin one left our body and is worshiping in a denominational church some have said there's no need to withdraw fellowship because he withdrew himself from us there you go chris there's the problem with that expression withdrawing fellowship yeah uh it's not that's not a biblical phrase so we withdraw ourselves he he, he withdrew himself now we need to withdraw ourselves that's what the scriptures teach the other and most recent is a younger person that left home and is living with someone and is pregnant. She has not been to worship in well over a year. Upon recent reflections, I have observed that our congregation has not practiced discipline in many, many years, and I am concerned. I plan on meeting with the leadership, but thought this might make a worthy question for discussion. It is a worthy question for sure. All right. What is your response and your reaction to someone who is engaged in sin and will not repent? 
Um, go to the listeners? Yeah, let's go see let's what our listeners go to the listeners. Ramona says, uh, all personal contact with a person who has been withdrawn from is not forbidden. Verse 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 instructs, yet yeah, do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. It would be quite impossible to admonish him with whom we had absolutely no contact. Though the, Throughout the entire process of dealing with an erring, unrepentant brother, we are to exercise love. 1 Peter 4, verse 8, unselfish concern. Philippians 2, verse 4, a willingness to bear the other's burden. Galatians 6, 1 and 2, compassion. Jude 22, and an urgency in pulling them out of sin. Jude 23. I agree. And I don't think anybody, Ramona, I don't think anybody is suggesting otherwise. Certainly we understand but the, the the scriptures do teach the, the concept of withdrawing from someone who is unrepentant, a Christian who is unrepentant. And Chris in the UK says, if they are negligent, then let them know. Uh, then let them let them know. And if they become unwilling, move churches. Ultimately, uh, though, you want the restoration of the individual, so don't remove them from your prayers. Well, I would agree. Keep praying for them. But the question is. I'm a member of a local body, and the local body is not doing what the scriptures teach should be done. For instance, in a very clear passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 5, here's the case of a man who was living in sexual immorality. Right. Chris was asking about a situation here of a young woman, apparently, who's living with a fellow, has has been forsaken the assembly, is living with a man. She's pregnant by him. The church has done nothing. What would what would Paul say to that church that's done nothing about a case like that? Yep. Paul would say, uh, it's commonly reported that there's fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Well, in this case, that this woman would have an, uh, be living with an unmarried man having his child. Yep. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned, and uh, that he that hath, or that she that hath done, in his case, she that had done this yeah, thing right, right. might be taken away from among you. Yeah. For I verily is absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you gather together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So what the church should have done is clearly expressed there in those verses. Yes. Now, the problem that Chris is dealing with, and this is not an uncommon problem, Jacob. The problem is the church didn't do that. They're not doing that. So what should an individual Christian do? I think the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 goes on and talks about the individual. Beginning of verse 9, I wrote to you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Now, this is not the church collective. This is individuals, I believe. We're told on an individual level, don't accompany with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, for or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then you must needs go out of the world. Again, talking to individuals, I believe, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11, but now I've written you unto you not to keep company. If a man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one, know not to eat. This is an instruction to individuals. Yeah, because the church can't eat. The church as a right. collective body doesn't eat. Right. I eat. Right. And so I'm not supposed to eat with such a person. And it's not talking about marking here as, a, as on a on a collective level here. This is towards individuals because the, the church isn't marking those who are uh, fornicators that are in the world. This is to individuals, and uh, individuals have a responsibility to Christians. You know, the the uh, to say that you could you could fellowship with someone who hadn't been marked by a church, which well, that's, well, a common, just... that's a common argument. But to say that, then that would mean that okay. Uh, Dad, you become uh, a fornicator. The church just turns a blind eye to it. 
Does that mean that I can continue to associate with you? Because like technically, wrong? because Whoa. the church had none. Church, church had, had none. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, the, I, well, well, the church is sinning by not doing what they're supposed to do. And so I'm going to use their sinful failure to do what the Lord commanded them to do. Right. In other words, the collective body has is failing to do their God-assigned work. Right. And so I'm going to use their failure to obey as my justification right. to continue associating with this fella? What's the difference? It, just, it, it doesn't even make sense. Okay. Uh, you know, in, in, the, in the case of, uh, of that um, Chris was talking about here, um, here's someone who hasn't, she's, she's uh, left home living with someone and pregnant. She's not been to worship in well over a year. Well, but the church hasn't withdrawn from her. So I'm just going to keep acting as, oh, everything's normal. Right. That doesn't make sense. All right. Uh, TMC in the chat room. What if you had a family member, a mom or a dad, who left the church or the congregation, but that congregation did not withdraw from them? You still have a duty to them, but are you supposed to withdraw from them anyway? That's a good question and a tough question. Uh, you do have responsibility. Yeah. Uh, you know, I and I do think that there are some mitigating circumstances that have to be taken in consideration. I think the obvious one is husband and wife. Right. So I'm a married person. My wife falls away. Right. Uh, obviously, I still have duties to her as a husband. Right. Right. Even, and I don't want to get too specific here, but even including the marriage bed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can't just say, I'm not going to have anything to do with you and, and, and I'm not going to associate with you. No, I'm still married to that person. I still have, you know, obligations that have to be fulfilled. So that that would be, that would mitigate somewhat uh, the instruction to others. Now, others concerning my wife would do exactly as First Corinthians right. five says. Me, I would I would have to show my disapproval of her spiritual conduct, but I would still have to fulfill my duties as a husband to her. Uh, now, to the father and mother, uh, uh, I think similar would res- would uh, would apply. I don't uh, I don't have to uh, associate with my father or mother if uh, for Thanksgiving dinner. But uh, they may become weak and invalid, where uh, they and uh, they may ha- or they may have other physical needs that I, as a as a as a child, would have to. First okay. Corinthians five eight, yeah. and provide not for his own; he's worse than an infidel. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So, All right. So there are there are some mitigating factors, but they're fairly rare. Right. In general, we should do what First Corinthians five teaches us to do. Let us know your thoughts if you have any comments about those. And finally, um, this is a question from Chris. Uh, Jeff, you had a question. Jeff's behind the controls. We need to talk to Jeff tonight. Jeff won't be with us much longer. Jeff's getting ready to pack up and move off. Jeff, thanks uh, for being here tonight. What was your your comment? Um, I just sort of had a question. Um, if if they have been gone for a year, is it a possibility that the church has already lost their influence? It could be uh, because it wasn't executed in a timely manner. But that uh, there are more than one. Uh, there's more than one goal with uh, this idea of marking. Uh, the individual who's unfaithful. Yeah, I think you're right, Jeff. And I, unfortunately, I think a lot of churches do wait so long that they don't have any, that, that, that their action has no force, which is a problem. Uh, but it's still necessary to do what the Bible says, and it's necessary to, to the, the, the church learns in the process of, dis, of church discipline. Others learn to be aware that, that such actions can't be tolerated in a local congregation. Okay. All right, we need to get to this idea of praying the preacher because we got a problem with that. We got to talk about that. Okay, the last question was from uh, M- Michael, uh, and he writes, 
While preachers are paid from the local congregation's treasury, are they employees of the local congregation or of the universal church? Are their employment benefits based upon their total time preaching or only on the time spent at a local congregation? Is Michael a preacher? No, I think Michael is an elder. Oh, Michael's an elder. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, if if I'm right, maybe, I thought maybe a. Preacher. It's kind of a. Yeah. I've never even thought of posing a question in those terms. Uh, see, um, who is this? This is Ramona. Ramona didn't attempt to answer that one. Oh, okay. Uh, Eric has responded. The terms of a preacher's employment, including benefits, a modern concept he notes, are between him and the congregation that su- or the congregations that support him. In some denomination, the preacher works for the denomination as a whole. I believe that's the way it works for Methodists and probably most others. But Churches of Christ are independent and autonomous. Right, that's true. All right, and uh, we have one from Chris in the U.K. As far as employment status, I would not know, as I've only been, uh, only known of bivocational preachers. Okay. Uh, Paul was one of those. Uh, ones who work and get a gift when they speak, and that from the church they speak at. If he is uh, your church preacher, then does he do anything pastoral? His job is not just preaching. Uh, well... I guess we could talk about that in another program. As far as benefits are concerned, I would say they need to be directed, before, decided before he begins and dealt with then. On a separate issue, you will need to be aware that uh, no one falls into Balaam's error where they speak only what the people want to hear so that they keep being paid rather than what they need to hear in danger of upsetting them and risk losing his job and income. I would agree with that, Chris. Uh, um, and, and that's one thing about this idea is that, uh, uh, you know, if, if, if the church is directing what the preacher preaches, then... What's the benefit of having the preacher if he uh, isn't challenging you uh, yeah. to, to grow in areas yeah. uh, you know that maybe not popular? We maybe we should just take a very basic approach to this, which says, uh, you know, is, is the church justified to pay the preacher? And I think absolutely so. Paul said in First Corinthians nine verse fourteen, the Lord hath ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Yes. So certainly it's scriptural to pay the preacher. Now. There's no guidelines as to how much. There's certainly no guidelines as to employment benefits like Social Security or health insurance or retirement. or anything. And I would agree that with Eric that that needs to be something that's discussed between the between the elders of the church or the leaders, the the, uh, the congregation as a whole, when when this arrangement is is consummated, when they begin, they should they should they should have an understanding about those things. But I think that's really, I mean, you couldn't, I don't know how you could answer Michael's question from the scriptures other than to say it's right for the church to pay the preacher. That's about all we know about that. And they are called wages. Paul called yeah. them wages in Second Corinthians 11, verse 8. Yeah, he said, that's right. He said, I took wages. Uh, Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians 11, verse 8. He said, right. I took, I, I robbed other churches right. uh, taking wages of them to do you service. Second Corinthians 11, verse 8. So there so it's would be wages. some accountability if there are wages. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, but. But, I mean, how many weeks of vacation does he get? What, how much pay does he oh, make? That's, that's all subjective. Yeah, that's that, those are judgments. Those are expedient things that, that the church is authorized to decide. The scripture doesn't yeah. specify. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's authorized to pay the preacher. The preacher is working for wages. That, that means he's providing service and earning a, a return a reward for the services that he provides. Beyond that, it's, it's matters of expedience. As a preacher, I would I would encourage uh, brethren to be generous rather than stingy in that. Yeah. Uh, I think Galatians chapter 6, verse 6, teaches the idea that uh, we should 
there should be a generosity, not a stinginess. As said, Paul says, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. There needs to be, I think that verse implies an appreciation for yeah, the work that's done. I think so too. And, and I don't think, uh, any preacher that's worth his salt could make more money doing something else, uh, I think. Uh, I think that there are some preachers who are purely hirelings, and they're in it because it's an easy way to make a paycheck. Mm. I, I think that's unfortunate, but I think it's realistic to acknowledge that that does happen. However, a preacher that's worth his salt uh, uh, is not going to take advantage of the situation. He should be appreciated for the work that he does. He sh- he, uh, and And... One of the things that the church does when they pay a preacher well is to take from him any the concerns or the anxiety of not having enough to provide for his needs and his family's needs. Paul in the chat room says, I do not believe the preacher, and Paul notes that he is one, is a benevolent case. He is worthy or earns his support. Good point, Paul. And I, and I have known uh, that... Uh, those who think that paying the preacher is is the church doing a work of benevolence. That's not right. It's the church doing a work of evangelism. They're, they're paying for the services of someone who can devote their time to do evangelistic work. It's it's wages earned for work. It's not benevolence handed out to a needy person. All right. You work overtime? I work get, as do, much do time get, as do, it do takes. Do you get paid overtime? Let's see. What, let's see, what time is it? Yeah, we better quick. Yeah, I'm, I'm over. It's over. Yeah, it's right. overtime. Let's yeah. get out of here. Yeah. All right. Well, we, get, yeah, we did have a good discussion. I, those were really good questions, and I appreciate uh, our listeners for supplying them tonight. Yeah, I think so, too. All right. Uh, thank you for your time tonight, Dad. Thanks, Jacob. Jeff, thank you for being behind the controls. Appreciate you being here. And thank you for joining us on the program tonight. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.